Hi everyone, Derek here. Um, I'm here with Emma Jane, who I'm checking my notes right now. It says that she is a rando from Iowa. Okay. Um, yeah, Emma has been staying here for the past few weeks. Um, she's preparing on working on a big media project, a podcast, Law Ain't Order. Um, and uh, we're pleased to have a conversation with her here today to learn a little bit about that. So yeah, hello Emma. How have you been doing today? Hi Derek, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, how's your time been here so far? Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast and for having me as a guest. It's been really fun to fun and productive to be you know among other like-minded folks all working towards the same you know anti-capitalist goals. Yeah, and we're always glad to have new faces like you showing up and providing whatever perspectives that you have to help us do what we do here. So yeah, I'm interested in talking about the podcast that you're working on. Um, let's see. Yeah, Law Ain't Order is the podcast that Emma Jane's working on. Um, how about you tell us a little bit about what your plans are with that? Yeah, sure. So um, the... The bigger, or the bigger concept with the podcast is to talk about systematic oppression through personal stories, you know, because I think that there is so much systematic oppression going on, but to kind of empathize with it and feel it, it's important to hear about the actual impacts that it's having. And so the focus of the podcast right now is specifically on southeastern Montana and um, the many injustices that Native people have been facing. Um, you know, which of course is not exclusive to that region, but it's, it's just very, um, you know, especially shocking to see how many Native people have gone missing or been murdered just in this very small area in the past, you know, in, in recent history. Okay. Um, I'm kind of curious. So living in Iowa at the time, how did you decide on Southern Montana as the focus of your research? Yeah, it, it honestly just happened organically. I started working on the podcast around, um, you know, like the start of 2020. And at that point, it was the one year anniversary of um, a, a Native girl named Selena Not Afraid um, being killed in Billings, which is in this region. And so I just, you know, came across my YouTube or algorithm in some way. And I, you know, started looking into just that case. But there were so many just kind of weird things that didn't line up or just a lot of kind of mysterious details that I wanted to keep digging. Okay, so uh, as I understand it, the first story that you're covering on the podcast is that of Selena Not Afraid. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on there? Yeah, so Selena was a 16-year-old crow girl and um, she was living in Billings, Montana with her mom and um, so it was New Year's Eve 2019 and she went out or went to a friend's house and from what I understand from what I've heard from people who know her she was a pretty you know good kid good teenager so I don't you know I don't think her mom was very worried about her wanting to go be with friends on New Year's Eve so then what ended up happening the next day is she was supposed to be given a ride home and she was in a van with five other people who were all older than her. They were all, you know, adults in their early twenties. And 
the details get very sketchy, mostly because of a lack of proper investigation. But the people who were supposed to give her a ride home said that they stopped at a rest stop because of engine trouble, and they and they left her at the rest stop. And um, again, there's never been like really a solid, you know, single kind of story, and none of these people have ever gone public with you know their version of events. But they say that they left her at the rest stop, and you know, unfortunately, bigger picture wise. The crisis of missing and murdered Indigenous women is so prevalent in this community that they are, you know, able to get like mobilized search parties really very quickly. So within, you know, a couple hours of when Selena went missing, there was an extensive search party at the rest stop. And they ended up staying there for over two weeks. Um, they had a constant presence at the rest stop. And it was an extensive search. There were, you know, obviously boots on the ground, horses, ATVs, cars. At some point, the police sent in helicopters. There were thermal drones and, um, you know, no sign of her whatsoever. And the other thing worth noting is, you know, it was New Year's Day that she went missing and New Year's Day in Montana, you know, it was pretty cold, but it was a warm winter this year. So I think from what I remember, Looking up that day, it was like in the 40s, or at least high in the 40s. So it wasn't that cold, is the point. Um, so then, yeah, so her family and the search party was at the rest stop for a little over two weeks. And then the FBI came in to take over the search. So her family and the search party went home to, you know, continue organizing from home. Now that there was someone to take on the boots on the ground search. And then um, on January 20th, shortly after the FBI took over the search... Her body was found less than half a mile away from the rest stop. And, um, you know, I haven't been there in person yet, but from the pictures I've seen, the land around the rest stop is pretty flat and pretty dry. And, um, you know, it's not deeply forested or anything. It's not something you would, ex- that you would expect to overlook a body in for that long. And I've talked to, um, her aunt, Cheryl Horn, who's the spokesperson for the family, and I've talked to other people who were you know, present at the search. And from what I've heard, it just doesn't seem possible that her body was there the whole time without being found. Yeah, this is this is hard stuff to hear because my first thought is like, you know, this is extremely fishy. But even thinking about that, it just makes me so sad that like this is actually things that are happening to families' lives, and it's not just, you know, some uh, murder mystery TV show that you'll see on primetime. Yeah, um, for sure. So, yeah, it's a hard thing to come to terms to with how prevalent this sort of injustice is. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of going off that point, even in Selena's case, you know, what happened to her alone is is very... Uh, as you said, you know, hard to kind of reckon with, but um, she was actually the fourth chi- the fourth child in her family to, you know, pass away at a young age. Um, her brother was shot by police and killed. Her sister was killed in a hit and run. No charges have been brought in that case. And her twin um, actually died by suicide at only 11 years old. So even just in Selena's family, it's it's clear, you know, how prevalent this crisis is. Yeah, that is astonishing. Um, does 
she have any um, siblings that are still alive? Does she her, have other siblings? Her mom has one son. Okay. Left. I'm sure she's very glad to have you working on this podcast to get the word out there as well, because that must be really the most hopeless situation you can imagine having that happen to you over and over. I can't even imagine losing four children. I think just for thinking of a parent burying a child, you know, one child is already just seems so against the natural order and, and so heartbreaking. I can't imagine, you know, four times. Uh, but the, the other sad thing is that as far as cases in this area, Selena's has gotten more attention than some other ones as far as media and, you know, like resources from the police, because a lot of times when women go missing or, you know, are found dead in this area, the systems that are supposed to be there to help the families and to, you know, keep justice and whatever, just ignore these cases, ignore these families, ignore these lives. Yeah. So, um, with the cases you're working on, you're reaching out to the families and people involved and loved ones and primarily having conversations with them to, to find out what's going on, uh, in the community. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious, like what else is like within your research methodology as far as collecting information for your podcast? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think I have, you know, kind of an unconventional approach. One thing about making this podcast is that, you know, as you said, I'm just a, a rando from Iowa. I'm not a journalist and I'm not pretending to be a journalist. But yeah, just going back to your original question about reaching out to families, I actually found that to be so much more useful than anything I could find on, you know, local news or any news, basically. And actually, with Selena's case, her aunt was the first person that I reached out to for the podcast. And I was honestly just reaching out to her to see if she wanted to add, you know, like a statement or anything, because I didn't feel right, like, not reaching out to the family at all and thinking about putting the story out there. But I was surprised that she was, you know, so open to give me so much insight, not only about Selena's case, but just about this, you know, bigger picture of injustice to Native people that is, you know, so prevalent nationwide and in Canada too, particularly in this area. And that, you know, to a lot of white people, myself included, before I started working on this project is, you know, kind of just invisible. Okay. Wow. So with the other case you're working on with Braven Glenn, do you want to give us an introduction with that case as well? Yeah, for sure. Oh, and before I talk about him specifically, it's one thing that I didn't know until I started working on this podcast is that Native Americans are actually the um, racial group that are most targeted by police or are killed by police, you know, most often, um, actually at a rate 12% higher than African Americans and three times higher than white people, which is really just mind-blowing considering how rampant police brutality is against Black people in America. So, yeah, with, um, with Braven Glenn, so he was a 17 year old who was killed almost a year ago, um, on November 24th, 2020. And, you know, because this case is a little bit more recent and a little bit more ongoing, there aren't as many details. Um, and also the cops have been really dodgy about stuff. 
But it seems like what happened is that he allegedly was speeding. They say that they, uh, they flagged him speeding at 90 miles an hour and, um, proceeded to chase him. And that chase resulted in a car crash that actually claimed, that ends up claiming his life tragically. But there's, it's a lot deeper and it's just so much more mysterious because this police force that killed him, it was, it wasn't, um, you know, like Billings police, it was this new police department that had only been formed five months before he died. It's called a Crow, Crow Nation police. And I can't find a ton of details. I know that they were formed using CARES Act money and I can't really find if the Crow tribe like went through the proper steps, I guess, to, um, you know, to organize a police force. And I've heard that all of the officers, it was a very small police force. I've heard that it was an all white police force. And I was going to say all white and not from the res. That's obviously the same thing. But yeah, so from what I've heard, all of the officers were white. And this police force actually disbanded very shortly after Braven was killed, which, you know, really just adds to the list of unanswered questions. So this police force was called Crow Nation Police. Crow Nation Police, yeah. And they weren't affiliated with the reservation or the tribal governance? No, they were put in place by the tribal governance. Okay, I see. But you're saying this was an all-white police force? From what I've heard, again, there's, you know, there's not much of a paper trail to be found. But, yeah, from what I've heard, I believe it was an all-white police force. Okay. Would we want to talk about the letter writing event that we did here um, in conjunction with trying to rouse up support for bringing justice to uh, Braden Glenn's uh, family? Yeah. Although, let me give a little more detail first because I realize I forgot things. Okay, sure. You know, so it's it's obviously really horrific that he was chased by police for speeding, which let me let me get your opinion on that. Comrade, do you think it, does that make any sense to chase somebody for speeding? I mean, in the words of myself, I would say a cab. I feel like putting on your lights and pursuing a car and then realizing that that car's not interested in pulling over. Um, maybe I would need to see statistics about like how effective it is to start a high-speed chase in the interest of keeping the roads safe? It seems a little bit counterintuitive to me to, you know, chase someone for speeding. You know, especially just given, like, up until fairly recently, Montana didn't even have speed limits. Yeah, I was wondering about that as well, because I've heard that. And, the you know, the, the place where the crash happened is just this, like, rural highway. So it wasn't a situation where... You know, he was speeding or driving recklessly and needed to be stopped, you know, for the sake of, like, pedestrians or anything. It was a very open road. Right, yeah. And I guess I do want to point out that we are familiar with the concept that police will will exercise the option to end a pursuit in the interest of public safety. And it's something that happens. But that's not something that happened this time and it ended with Braven's death. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and the other the other part of it is, you know, this would it would still be tragic, but it would make more sense if he was, you know, had a, a charge out against him, or 
you know, the car was registered stolen or he was suspected of committing a crime or something, you know, like it would at least make more sense. But he was just, from what I have heard from his mom and from what I've seen, he just was a pretty normal 17 year old. And this pursuit, the way they pursued him, it's like he was like robbing a bank or something, you know, like it just seems very like disproportional. Yeah. Did they get multiple cars out in the pursuit? following him the thing is like no one really knows because the police won't release a police report or dash cam um or even really talk to the mom and there's a lot of really sketchy details it's unclear whether or not they the police uh it's possible that they prevented him from getting life-saving medical attention and um yeah they just they won't release any Given details. the fact that they organizationally disbanded so that it's like the group itself is protected from being held accountable because the group is no longer there. Right. So, yeah, I guess it would make sense that the officers on this force are in the policing system still because that's, as we see uh, systemically, that's what they tend to do is move to other police forces if the movement to hold them accountable in one place scares them off too much. Right. Yeah. I mean, there really is no accountability. Even just, you know, going back to your original question about, like, were there multiple cars? There might have been. It's possible that um, agents from the Bureau of Indian Affairs were also on the scene at the crash. But again, it's just without any kind of paper trail, without any kind of you know, like Raven's mom has not received any kind of account on paper from the police. It's just wow. been different verbal explanations at different times. And, you know, but even that she's filed several Freedom of Information Act requests and they've been ignored. Um, and even, you know, even the car to possibly have it examined to see where the, you know, impact points were on the car, I guess, to kind of uh, determine you know, just, just how the crash went down, but that can't happen because the police did have not released the car to the owner or to Braven's mom or even the insurance company. Wow. Was there anything else about Braven's case that you wanted to make sure that people are aware of? Um, I think I would just say, you know, it's been disappointing. Um, some of the responses I've gotten while, you know, posting about this case on social media um, I've tried to kind of get the word out on local groups there. And I just, people, I, I don't understand, people don't seem to understand that 17 year olds make mistakes and the police lie. And, you know, that's, I find that disappointing. So I guess I just really want to emphasize that, you know, first of all, the speeding is alleged because they won't release anything. So we don't even know if he was even speeding. But even if he was, 17-year-olds make mistakes, as I said, and... Um, and don't deserve death sentences for mistakes that teenagers will make. Don't deserve death sentences for a very minor offense. And, um, I mean, and I also think that, I mean, this case is very different, but even if there was a situation where a cop was justified in killing someone, which is a whole other conversation, but even if that kind of situation were to happen... I still think they're responsible to talk to that person's family and provide all the answers and all the information that they can because 
they're supposed to be working for the people. You know, that doesn't really happen. But yeah, I guess I just would like to just emphasize the context that Braven was one person, one teenager, and, you know, this police force that killed him and the the larger, I guess, kind of systematic elements at play are a lot more malicious and a lot more harmful. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for being willing to go to the effort to help get these people's stories out there and make sure that people are saying their names. Yeah, definitely. Well, and thank you and other comrades here at uh, Solidarity Collective. Um, we actually did some letter writing on behalf of the movement to get justice for Braven. Um, so we wrote some letters to Deb Holland and Ben Crump to, you know, hopefully get Braven's name on the radar of people with more influence and a larger audience. Okay. Can you remind me, um, who, who's Ben Crump again? Oh yeah, for sure. Ben Crump is a civil rights attorney who handles cases of police brutality. And, you know, I'm not totally sure if he has jurisdiction in Montana or has a Montana office or whatever, but he's also very big on social media. He's a big social media following and raises a lot of awareness for cases of police brutality. So. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. And that was amazing to be able to participate in that letter writing party. Um, we got a lot done and we were very happy to, to see the effect that at least had on Raven Glenn's mother. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, even, just a really small action like that, you know, it's it's not nearly enough. It's not nearly the justice that he and his family deserve. But, you know, from what I've, I don't want to speak for his mom or anything, but from what I've heard from her, you know, for almost the past year, it's she's just been, you know, simultaneously mourning, trying to investigate, and just being ignored or disrespected by, you know, every branch of law enforcement and government. And I can't imagine that kind of heartbreak of just feeling like you're screaming into an empty void and, you know, so heartbroken. So, yeah, I think even just small efforts like this do help in a small way. Right, for sure. Yeah, so are there any updates on Selena's case? Yeah, so with Selena, her case is being handled by an FBI task force called Operation Lady Justice. Which, you know, is, is good that at least it is being looked at by someone. But unfortunately, Operation Lady Justice told Selena's family that they would be concluding their investigation and releasing, you know, information like her autopsy and, you know, police report at the end of August. And what day is it today? October? Today's the 12th. Yeah. Today's the 12th. So, you know. All right. Um, did we want to try to end this on a lighter note before we close out? Is it ghost cat time? Yeah, but like thinking about it, I don't know if that actually is very much of a light note. Like this is some scary dark forces that we seem to be dealing with here in the old house right now. We have a cryptid. Yeah, um, I haven't seen it yet. And I, I'm ashamed to admit that I didn't believe my comrades when they first told me about this. Uh, this feline form that we're not familiar with haunting our floors and walls and messing with our cats. Cause 
I definitely believe it's real now, um, the way our cats have been acting. And I promise I'm doing everything I can to keep them safe. <laughs> we don't know what's, what's uh, haunting us right now. Well, I've seen it. So, but I too did not believe our uh, fellow comrade who saw it the first time. I kind of, I didn't think she was lying. I just thought she might have been a little sleep deprived. Yeah. And then um, yesterday I was sitting on the couch next to the fireplace working on some stuff. And all of a sudden, well, I felt some, like, scratching under the couch, and I thought it was one of the, like, you know, resident cats. And then all of a sudden, I look over, and there's this, like, gray and white cat I've never seen before. And um, I had kind of forgotten that our comrade Sarah had told us that she'd seen it. And so she just happened to be around at the same time. And I was like, Sarah, is there, like, a gray and white cat that, like, also lives here? And she just looks at me, and she goes, you saw it, too. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And then it, it... Made an appearance last night. And it left an enormous mess on our leather couch, um, allegedly. I think that's where it came from, because I don't know what else would do that. But Well, but also, like, you know, if this cat is indeed a ghost, like, can ghost cats leave, like, physical poop on a couch? I thought it would, like, look like styrofoam packing peanuts. Have you ever <laughs> seen those, like, rebranded and sold as ghost poop? Oh, yeah. I could see that. Or if it was just like a holographic, like, poop on the couch. Yeah. I guess cryptids aren't necessarily ghosts, but we'll update you as we find out more about the supernatural forces that we have to fight here. We're staying on top of the story. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me, Emma. Um, I'm glad that you're able to be going out and doing this work that needs to be done. So thank you for having this conversation and I look forward to more updates. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And um, thank you to you and to, you know, all the other comrades at uh, Solidarity Collective for, you know, hearing about these stories and these cases and um, caring about them enough to, you know, use your time to letter write and do other forms of activism that we're hopefully working yeah, on. Yeah, always happy to. So what's the name of your podcast one more time? Yes, it is called Law Ange Order. It will be premiering on New Year's Day of 2022, I guess, which is crazy. And that is the um, two-year anniversary of when Selena went missing. All right, we are all looking forward to it, and we will do everything we can to signal boost. Everywhere is excruciatingly expensive to live, but all of a sudden we find ourselves living comfortably here on the plains of Wyoming because we got together and made that happen. We're not letting people that are living with us or that we don't want other people just to be subject to the verities of the market. This is a counter-market force. Just as the system that we live in is overwhelming to people. It, it completely, it's, it's so much noise, it's so much stress, it's so much pressure that it makes it so your future is all caught up in just getting by, just getting through this next thing. And I can't remember who it was that said that poverty destroys the future. And that if you are, if you live in poverty, your only thought is, how do I survive in the moment? In the next, yeah. And that is something that we have experienced as participants in the capitalist system. And we're not perfect. We still have a lot of people who still have to engage in capitalism yeah. Yeah. in order to live here. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not, we don't, we don't even try to not engage exactly. in society. 
Uh, it's that we want to develop practices here and material spaces here that where we can, uh, you know, sort of enact that future that we want. And yeah, and challenge that pushback that it's, it is overwhelming on this side mm-hmm. because, you know, economics still exists even in right. a communist or socialist realm. And so and it's a yeah, lot of work. And I think it's important that people know, like, how we got this space and how we landed in this space because we are all people that don't have money. Precisely. And we were lucky enough uh, to, uh, to jump on um, the... Uh, the sale of a property at extremely below market rate. Um, and there's no way that we would be in this situation if that weren't the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the, the, the owners, uh, had been, um, uh, or owner, uh, had been, had not been desperate, uh, to sell the place, then there's no way that we w- would have landed it. Um, and we got it as is, uh, and there's perpetual repairs to do. And there's way too much stuff and we're doing this and all of us are doing in some way or another something else you know virtually full-time in our lives as well and so and we have a couple of people who can be here a little more than everybody else Um, and then we've got you know people that have full-time jobs and sort of everything in between Uh, and so that's i think that's part of the reason for um this sense of there's no way that we can ever finish everything that we have to do. Well, and welcome to life. I mean, and I'm not like dismissing the the magnitude of our task, but that's, you're never going to be done in life. I, I think that there's always going to be another challenge. There's going to be something that needs to be addressed and that you can't just ignore, whether it's your, own, it's your personal health. Whether it's mm-hmm. And as you family. said, capitalism, over, you know, lives by overwhelming people so much that they just sort of have to comply and get or to avoid yeah. getting crushed underneath. And, you know, and so uh, it drives them into shitty jobs about which Republicans and business owners are complaining nobody wants anymore because they're lazy and they're like, I think we're just sick and tired of being ground yeah. down. And now possibly dying. Uh, yeah, because of COVID and, you're, mm-hmm. you're, and people yelling at them. I mean, anybody yeah. who yells at a 21-year-old or a 19-year-old server at a restaurant for asking them to wear a mask is someone I want to kick between the legs. I, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, just, I, I, I can't get it through my head. It's like, why are you yelling at this? And trust me, I've been a big dick in the past. To, to, to retail workers or whatever, and, and I and now get it where it's like, wait a second, this poor fucker's maybe getting paid $10 an hour if they're lucky. I, too, for a long time did not understand or interrogate my own hierarchical uh, behavior, and I'm so glad that I'm not like that anymore. Uh, I'm not too. saying that I'm anywhere near, like, good, uh, but uh, I am really glad that I don't do that shit anymore. Uh, and, and, and again, I think that circles back to the number of there's a number of things that you know since I've been living communally, uh, you know, in a, a, a number of other things and new things that I've noticed about the way we interact here versus how uh, people in town interact. Uh, and and it's funny, like I mean, here's like here's a good example. Um, I think that before I lived communally, I might have been another one of those parents that drives really fast in the circle at the high school 
picking up or dropping off kids. Uh, you know, I might be that person who is Mario fucking Andretti with their kids, uh, you know, taking, dropping them off and picking them up from school. And I don't, I don't even like my first thought when I go into this, uh, gnarly, uh, traffic situation, uh, in the mornings and afternoons is always, how can I help? <laughs> can I, can I help organize this space so that people, you know, I like now I'm thinking, you know, wouldn't it be better if people did it this way or that way, but I'm not aggressive anymore when I drive. Um, and so, you know, isn't that weird that one of the effects of being here is that I'm not as aggressive a driver. Exactly. We live in a community with what? 13 adults. There's, <laughs> yes, there are, many of there us. are currently kidding. 13 adults 13 here. adults yeah. and four children. Four kids. Under the age of, and when I say children, under the age of 18. Yeah, under the age of 18, ranging from newborn or, you know, practical, infant, infant to, infant to uh, too old for their own damn good. Yeah, exactly. And we, I look at this and I'm like, when we have our meetings, because we have a meeting every week here as a bunch of uh, socialist commies on the prairie. We get together, and that's the same size. It's bigger than a school board meeting would normally be. Mm-hmm. And we all have to get along, and we got to work shit out. And if we're not getting along, we got to work that shit out. And it just seems now, I'm I'm all for the rhetoric of confrontation. I have called the heads politically, of yeah, major uh, death dealing organizations that create weapons of mass destruction, death merchants, to their face. Yes, but I wasn't just screaming about, I don't want my kid to have to wear a mask because I don't want him to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's empathy. And I think that it's so, it's weird that, and I I know that, so there, I know there's a critique of empathy going on right now among, you know, sort of the left, left consciousness. And people say, well, empathy is a bad model. We should find other ways to cooperate, um, you know, for the non-empathic among us, uh, which fine, that's that's fine. Um, but I think that there's something, an energy that's generated from being here that is affirms the parts of you that naturally are drawn to care about other people and want other people's well-being. And part of it is mutual survival, right? Like if I see that you're having a bad day uh, here at the commune, part of me is also thinking, you know, we are, we do best when we all have good days. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so what's a way that we can pull each other up to help? Because we know that the more hands there are on deck, the more shit we're going to get done. And we do get shit done. It may take us a while to coalesce to a consensual, uh, dis, you know, outcome. I think the kitchen, uh, uh, operation, um, you know, with our to, uh, you know, work on our, our pest removal um, was not completely all hands on deck, uh, but probably in terms of utility, uh, uh, we, there probably would have been diminished returns for more people uh, showing up. But we had um, some people, somebody made a point in the discourse like we can't all fit in here. Yeah. Literally, our kitchen is tiny. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and yeah, for for the size of the house, uh, it's tiny. I couldn't really participate in a lot of that stuff because the fumes. Uh huh. 
were just knocking my ass off and knocking me on my ass because I have asthma as a result of the forest fires that were here last year. And we were using essential oils and I, and as well as the other pest control methods. And the fumes were just kicking my ass. Just, and this was hours after that stuff had gone down. I was still suffering. I'm like, I can't even be in here right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it would have been impossible for me to participate. And so I'm very grateful to all those people who did, who don't have those concerns, who are more than willing to step up and do that. And that's precisely, I mean, I think that's so illustrative, right, of the principles, including the principle of from each according to ability to each according to need. Yeah. Right. We all have a need for clean kitchen spaces and, and dining spaces, uh, but we all don't necessarily have the ability um, to get in with the fumes with the and, and by the way, they're natural fumes. Yeah. Um, but uh, we all can't, you know, crawl into every space and, and work every space all the time. And so. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we've we're we're working on finding a way for people to kind of fit into those things, which is, you know, that's been the the nature of the committee uh, system. There are times when I think, man, these committees, great idea, um, and then there are other times when I think, it's not like all we've done is just sort of spread out the inertia in some way. So I don't know. Like how to overcome some of those some of those things. Well, uh, without I mean, we're not yeah. a business. We're, you know, we're not going to run this place like a hierarchical business. We're not going to be landlords. I mean, my number one priority personally, in terms of of contributing to this space creation, is to make it a landlord free and leader free zone. Right. But but that that is ultimately our goal, and we. I think that, like you said, this kitchen is illustrative of that. And there are places for people who have other ways to contribute to really contribute. For instance, I love to cook. I cook more than anybody else here. I have a three-night cook shift. And everybody else has essentially one, which is just fine. I love it that way. And I would, I would cook more. But other people want to contribute that way. And we make space for them to contribute that way. And it helps me, to be honest, because I don't want to do all the cooking necessarily. It has also been responsible for the longest streak of quality meals uh, on a regular basis that I think I've ever had in my life. What are some of the so and this is I'm glad that, that you reminded me of this, because one of the things that I wanted to do on this segment was call out uh, Marco's pot pies. Right. Did you have this? I pot did. Pie? I had a pot pie. This that was the best pot pie that I had ever had. It, for once, it didn't. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was love, but it didn't taste like it came out of a box. No, it's it was so well made, uh, and and just the perfect amount of almost, uh, almost well done. Right, right, and it. But everything inside the pot pie was piping hot. You know, the way it's supposed to be the way it's supposed to be. It was perfect. It was I mean, these were perfect pot pies. Um, I would hold them up against any uh, pot pie that's being made out, out manufactured out in the out in the capitalist system uh, for sale. Um, and uh, what are some of the other incredible dishes that we that we have? Well, let's first off start by talking about our friend Nina's Cajun cooking that she drops with every couple of weeks. Uh, thank you to Nina's grandmother for teaching her how to cook. 
uh, Creole style because the jambalaya that she made was amazing. Uh, her her red beans and rice uh, just I, I I I haven't disliked anything that Nina's made since she's been here. We make incredible pizzas oh, yeah. um, that we, are that we you know recently transitioned to sourdough pizzas. Yes, and so we have you know sourdough pizzas then with all kinds of permutations of toppings on them. Uh, and sauce and no sauce and pesto instead of sauce and uh, you know and uh, with our even our cheese pizzas have like three different cheeses on them. Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pat myself on the back and say that I make a mean meatball. Your meatballs <laughs> are the most amazing meatballs that well, I've ever had. They are the they are the best meatballs that I've ever had. We work really hard here, but we try really hard to have fun things. Today, for example, we're going to be doing some Cthulhu gaming. Yes, indeed. We're, we we bought the Death May Die Cthulhu game, and uh, we're, I'm excited to do that. And we're also going to start playing some D&D. And on that note of about sociality and, and being sociable, I really appreciate what Sarah does, which is she goes out and starts a fire out in the courtyard or, you know, now we've moved it. Mm-hmm. They moved it back, I think. Because with her being, mind. She starts a fire yeah, with her like mind. Pyro, she's like a, yeah. she's pyrotechnic. Yeah. But anyway, uh, but then they moved it because I am allergic to smoke uh-huh. from because of the wildfire. So that we used to have it right there in the middle of the courtyards, but right. to not irritate me. Or maybe they just did it for a completely unknown reason, but they've moved it now, and I don't ever it had the net benefit of... Yeah, of, well, maybe not for my know. benefit, but it benefits me anyway. But Sarah consistently, at least once or twice a week, goes out there and starts a fire and says, hey, I'm Come on out and hang out. Yeah, it's Come and hang to, out, and people do. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it, it's become... It's it's become our cheers. Yes, exactly. Yeah, be judicious in what you put in your body, kids. If you uh, want to hear more of stuff like this, and you want to know what it's like to live in a collective community, don't forget to go to Patreon.com/slash/SolidarityHouse. Sign up to be a contributing member. Your five dollars or more, and I emphasize the or more part. Uh, I'll probably cut that part out. Really really makes a difference and enables us to do things like develop a community, to be politically active, to support folks who are working on Native American genocide issues, to support people who are working on queer issues, and just to support people in general and make life less shitty under this system that we're stuck to live in. Special companions we get and we will give them these. Like from these slip cards here. You can't get them. It will tell you what, what to get. Oh yeah. Which color would you like? Uh, let's do green. I guess I'll wait for Marco if you like. Do I tell you what the condition yeah, is? Yeah, we play that. We, we all know what each other I have recurring trauma. I have fear of crowds. Take one stress for every other figure in your space, enemy or investigator. If you are alone, heal all of your stress instead. I have recurring trauma. Keep the last mythos card any player drew with no summoning symbol near this card. Oh, I have to pick one of y'all to be my like guide because otherwise I will lose stress points. So like I have to pick somebody. Oh, what are you, codependent? Yeah, codependent. Uh, if there is a mythos card near this card, play it as if you had just drawn it. Otherwise, heal all of your stress. Okay. Oh, you got a lucky one. I got a shitty one. So um, I guess you're going to be my codependent since you're 
maybe stay here. Um, so we who, can, who are we playing against? Cthulhu? No, we're playing against um, Pastor. Pastor. Pastor, okay. Yeah. Or are we waiting for Murakai? Um, no, let's, why don't we, can, we just, we let's just start, yeah. yeah. We can make him the last person. He's supposed to come in a few minutes, so. Phase into taking my character, since I okay. have to go pick up the... The teens uh, at three, so yeah. but whatever we whatever we want to do. It says that ideally you would have at least four people. So yeah, one to five players, but you want to have four if you want to have a chance of winning. Ooh, I can feel myself around the Okay, so um, I guess I'll go first just to see. Move two spaces. They didn't make this not complicated at all. Yeah. We are playing the brand new game Cthulhu Definitely Die. It is a cooperative game which makes it far more enjoyable than a competitive game. You may have heard previous episodes where we have played Space Cats Fight Fascism and lost terribly at it every time, but still at least we, we were together. So here we go. Yeah, I'm gonna die. <laughs> All right, I guess I go first. I'm gonna move one space for my first turn. I'm gonna attack on this fucking cult. Don't you have to... Take your three actions. Yeah, that's my three actions. My first, because like it, it's it's attack, run, rest, heal, oh, okay. and episode action. Okay, ooh, I'm probably gonna do a stress point so I can roll this. These I, dice. Yes, three. It. I got three successes, and since with my ability using like these focus items, I can use that as a success mover. So I did three attack. So th since they have two. Um, health points. One of them dies. So you, yeah, and then one and of them. One of them gets hurt, which you would use with these tokens to quantify that. So, if somebody dies before the cult, before the ritual is completed, we lose the game. Yeah. Oh, what? Even one person? If yeah, one if person dies before the ritual is completed, the or, game is over. Or it was interrupted. Oh, I see. Or interrupted. Yeah. If anybody dies after the ritual is interrupted, the game continues. I got one more action. Uh, blank, insanity, and I'll take that. That's an acrobatic stress. How points. do you read those dice? Oh, basically, these are success movers. These are insanity, which if you get an insanity, you have to move up okay. at each threshold you get. You get you, to get another level. Yeah, you get you something. Get, yeah, and if you get too much insanity points, you die. Oh, right, unless you have an ability of like arcane yeah. uh, knowledge, and then you get to, then it has special effects. Yeah, you can read Otherwise, it. it has no meaning. Yeah. So since uh, I have one attack, this person's on one health left, I'm going to use and that. And so you eliminated... Yeah. yeah. So, so you managed to eliminate two okay. cultists. I eliminated two cultists, and I got one insanity, and luckily at the, um, I still need to draw Mythos cards since I lost all my three. Okay. Uh, the nearest fire... Um, fire... Um, what is it called? Va fire vampire. Lose two spaces towards you. Then place one fire token in its space. Those things? Yeah, yeah, no, these things. These oh. Okay, so two spaces. One, two. Um, that's a fire vampire? Yeah, it's a fire vampire, and they will get one fire emblem in their space. Okay. And these are very detrimental once you get them. And also summon a fire, another fire vampire. Okay. 
And once all of them are in play, you can't respawn them. So you only have two vampire ones here. Thank God, because I have recurring trauma, so we can't spawn any more fucking flame vampires. And none of your attributes change after your turn? Um, well, um, that's if you get insanity, which if you get one insanity threshold, you can level up one item. You have to get your insanity over. In other words, the more insane you are, the better you get at the, the game. The better yeah. you get at the game. And, right. some, and sometimes your cards will say, like, level up or something. Oh, that's true. I thought that was a... Die pouch, that's your mask. Yeah, that's my okay. mask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, since um, I go to draw methods. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, I'm so going to turn the light on. Uh, <laughs> already did all this. Okay, so once you get three symbols, the um, monster there um, will move one forward and the escape closer to them summoning. But it doesn't matter right now, but once you get three cards. Oh, this again. Okay. And. I will investigate since there's no monsters in my area. Wait, so what do you have? Wh no. How do you have turn left? What? Oh no, because like it? because there's three actions you can take from the first action, then you move to the second section, which is draw a Nichols card, and then. And then this is your third action. Yeah, yeah investigator fight. Yeah, this is the third option, which you can do investigating fight. If there's monsters here, I have to fight. If there's no, then I could investigate. Luckily, I killed okay. both monsters. I can investigate, which will allow me to get one of these cards. A discovery card. Assistant janitor. I got away, but he's going to kill us. We have to hide. If you have a guilty conscience, take one stress. You have to take two stress to claim the assistant janitor, or take one stress to claim the bleach. Basically, I get uh, if I want to waste two stress, I can get Jerome. While I have him, I get level one in stealth. I already have level one in stealth. Well, he might need to be. Actually, no, this is level one. Uh, or can you bleach? You may discard this card and uh, ammonia card to deal six roots to all figures either in your space, including you, or in adjacent space. Wait, who can take out damage points? Your assistant can take your damage points. Oh, yeah, instead they can take of you. Assist. Yeah, they, they can take it instead. Um, of but they can't be healed, and uh, if they die, you lose the special ability they gave you. Yeah. I mean, right now, like the only useful thing would be to kill their cultists because this is the space here. These are these two are other separate spaces. Okay. So I won't be able to kill. Oh, them. I thought that was a tunnel leading into the space where you are where that vampire was. Yeah, so no, I space. wish I would have done that otherwise. Excuse me for the brief digression, but I am extremely thrilled at my extraordinary powers in killing cultists. 